You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word then to Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11 through 15 and 18 through 20 will be the focus of our attention as we continue to move closer to the center of Leviticus. Now, this is one of those books that we've said along the way is often misunderstood, is often overlooked, is often skipped in our Bible reading because we don't understand it. And yet at its core, it's teaching us how to be holy. At its core, uh, God, uh, in, at His grace, was making a way for the people of Israel, for the priests and the people to come into His presence as He had delivered them from their sin, as He had delivered them out of uh, slavery in Egypt and now into His presence. This is where He is leading them. And so if you remember the Leviticus bullseye that's guided uh, the way we've been going and it's kind of the overview of Leviticus, we're at that third ring this week of the requirements of being holy. The requirements, because we've already discovered there's a massive problem that we have. Our sin has separated us from God. We are far from Him. And we need this mediator, for only the holy can be near holy God. And so the question then that, is, that we're left asking is, well, how then can Israel they live set apart? And more specifically then as I ask that question, well, what then is holy and unholy or pure and impure or clean or unclean? And who and what determines all of this? And well, that's what this third ring here as we're honing into the center is all about. And so at its crux today, at the center of this passage, write it down because this is the thread through all of these commands, bringing them together. It is that the Lord is the one who determines who and what is holy and unholy. Now, that is pretty basic, but it is uh, so important for us because we want to know, well, what is perfect purity? Well, it is God, and He is the one who determines this. So it's at the core, it's the thread there. But this really is a good question uh, for us as we think about this. or uh, it's, it's just helpful for us because from the beginning, humans have balked against this reality. Humans have, uh, 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 since the serpent came in and interjected that doubt, uh, questioning of the authority of God, when he asked Eve in the garden, did God really say, from that moment, humans have strove to be in charge of not just their life, but of everything around them. Since that time, uh, humans have sought to define what is right and wrong or to redefine what is right or wrong, to set the terms and to be the boss. We see a vivid example of this as we just watch children play on the playground and in our backyards. Where does the most conflict arise? Over who's the boss? Over whose ideas they're going to play? Over who gets to set the terms or, or, uh, or establish the, the, the way that they're going to play that day? see it in kids, and yet we as adults are uh, no different in this as we uh, goad against the right and wrong that God has determined. 
And yet he is the one long before Leviticus, or long after rather, Leviticus was uh, written. God tells us through the prophet Isaiah this very plainly in Isaiah 45, 19. It's here on the screen for us. God speaking, he says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. There we are. Who determines what is right and wrong? The Lord does. The Lord does. Thank God it is not me. I can't even remember to change my batteries, let alone decide what is right and what is wrong. And praise God this morning that we have his word before us, right? That he does not speak in darkness. He has not left us to just figure these things out, to, uh, to not know the truth, but he's given us his word. He's given us what we hold in our very hands this morning, these commands and the instructions of the scriptures to teach us and seek to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. And so with that as the, as the crux, with that as the foundation, is the Lord who determines what is right and wrong. Let's begin to see what impact this then has on our life through these chapters, through the flood of commands that exist in all eight chapters here. In the first few chapters, in chapters 11 and 12, they teach us this, that God's people have always lived differently. As the Lord has established what is right and wrong, here as we come to this text, it, 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 we're going to begin to see this pattern as he, God is establishing this nation and establishing these rules and these commands for which they are to live by. Is, he's beginning to show a distinction, a distinction between those who follow God and those who do not. And so as we come to the text, I want us to see some repeated portions in both this section and as we go, and the summary to really help shape our understanding as you then take the challenge to keep reading through all of these commands. Now, there's just way too much. We're not going to cover it all in reading it all, but I'm going to show you some of the repeated things to help you see where these truths are drawn from to shape how you then read through the specific commands in your own time. And so join me in Leviticus 11. Hopefully you found it there in your Bible. And I'm going to read just the first few verses of this chapter and the next, and then we'll jump to chapter 20 for a second. But join me here in chapter 11, verse 1, and it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Now jump over also to chapter 12, just to go to the first couple verses. Chapter 12, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. Now, what's the repeated thing in both of those verses or both of those sections there? The Lord is speaking to Moses and Aaron in each chapter. Each section of this begins in much the same way. And here's the thing, church, it's easy to overlook verses like this. It's easy to just read over it and, and not think twice about it. And yet don't miss just how profound this is. God is speaking, holy God speaking to his people, the children of Israel, and teaching them the way that they should go in a way that is very different from the world around them. But he's not just speaking to like chatter with them or to just have a you know, conversation with them. He is leading them somewhere as well. Join me at the end of chapter 11, beginning in verse 44. Because each chapter or section ends in a very similar way like this. Lord is speaking, and then he says this. 
chapter 11, verse 44, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves, therefore, what does it mean to consecrate, to, uh, to be set apart, to uh, sanctify yourself, to be holy, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy, you shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, now that there is just kind of creepy in of itself, right? For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now go to the very end of chapter 20 for just a second, because I want you to also see this. So you'll have this repeated, but the whole section here, this ring, this bullseye, is summed up in much the same way at the end of chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. See if you can see the repetition and what he is driving at, why God is speaking these commands to them. Leviticus 20, verse 22 through 26 say this, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Now that's some pretty vivid language, right? Especially as you'll see as you read through these chapters, it is very uh, vivid imagery in this way. But note this, he's bringing them to the holy land, right? A land that God has set apart. If they do his things, they can live there, which you'll see. But if they fail to follow God's commands, then uh, it will, you know, so to speak, vomit them out. Verse 23, continuing on. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. This is God's word for God's people. Now, God is speaking to them. And why is he speaking to them? That they would be holy, that they would be set apart, that they would live differently than the people around them. See, God's people have always been on different paths. From the very beginning, they have been on a different trajectory, following a different way of thinking and living and deciding and organizing their life and honoring the Lord than the people and the nations around them. And this includes, the distinction includes the things that we consume and the way that we care for others, particularly the vulnerable. Now go back to chapters 11 and 12, and let's just uh, get an overview of these things. See, chapter 11 then is instructions on what to eat and what not to eat. As you read through it, there he will uh, describe uh, uh, categories of animals that they uh, could eat and could not eat. Now, just remember kind of uh, the history of where the Israel is in these days, right? Where are they? Where is this uh, flow in the narrative of Israel's history? They've just come out of Egypt, where they were enslaved, 
right? And so now they are in the wilderness. And as they were enslaved and they're in Egypt, they, uh, they you know, had a certain way of eating and a certain way of doing things. And now they're in a whole new place with all new uh, 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 creatures and, and, and things that uh, uh, the nations around them are eating. And so God in his kindness is teaching them what they can eat and what they can't eat as they encounter new foods. Just like if somebody makes you a new dish or you go to the store and you're reading the labels as, okay, what's in this? Does it have gluten? Does it not? Does it, uh, can I read it and understand the ingredients on the back? They, uh, you know, in the same way that we would do that, now animals unfortunately don't come with like a label, right? You lift up their wing and be like, all right, clean or unclean. God gave them features in which to distinguish what they could eat and what they could not eat. And so this is teaching us here that holiness requires intentionality in what we put into us. And what we consume, it includes how we steward these bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit that God has given us, and how we steward the living creatures that God has created and exist around us. But holiness also is God is teaching them to live distinct and different. As you move into chapter 12 then, it's a shorter section. This is a, a, a teaching on how we care for particularly women after they've had children. It's a whole chapter on maternity leave, so to speak. On bed rest as they would care for these children. As you read it, they, uh, women would get 40 days if they had a, a, a male child and 80 days if they had a female child. God's protection of the women as they would have these babies and as they would be, you know, uh, physically exhausted and the loss of blood in order to uh, allow them to have uh, the rest and the peace necessary for recovery. Now, again, put yourself, remember where they are at. Do they live in New Braunfels or in modern society with all of the uh, um, uh, medical amenities that we have in our day? No, they're in the wilderness. And they're having babies in the dirt amongst the rocks and tents and, and things. They had other children to care for. They had food to prepare. Just existence in those days was difficult. God and his care for the women and children as they were being born, as he was uh, 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 caring for them to allow them to rest in this, was, uh, was, was just God's protecting love on the people. Now note also in these two chapters the connection back to creation. For as you work your way through chapter 11 in the, uh, the descriptions, you have these categories of land animals and sea animals and flying animals in much the same way that God uh, creates the creatures of the earth. And then as he creates male and female and then commands them with a promise to be fruitful and multiply. As their seed was, uh, uh, was uh, multiplied in the same way here as a woman conceives and bears these children, you begin to see here that from the beginning, this mandate to follow the Lord's designs, to live according to his ways has been in play from the get-go. The problem is, is that sin corrupted things and in Genesis 3, and people have been going their own way since that time. And God, through these commands, is calling Israel back to himself, back to his design, back to his ways, back to his presence, back to his standards of holiness. And now we as believers in our day, we are, 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 we're not necessarily under these Levitical laws in much the same way. We'll see in 
little bit as we move into Mark 7 and a different, as we go on here, yes, you are free to eat bacon, right? You wonder, you get into there, and it's like, well, I can't eat pigs. You can with a clean conscience. Yet the principle underlying all this remains. God's people live differently than the culture around them. God cares about what we consume. It matters. It is a, 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 it is a principle of holiness as to well, what we eat and what we put in these bodies. Are we eating wholesomely? Are we uh, stewarding these temples well? It matters what we consume. It's the content in our minds and what we watch and what we allow into us. God cares about how we care for moms and babies at every stage. He'll go on in, in chapter 20. You'll encounter it there in 20 uh, verses 1 through 5 of these commands against child sacrifice. They, uh, the nations around them would offer their children to Molech. And God says, we're not like that. We care for our moms and our children. This matters. Much the same way we as a church today in this post-row world, uh, we have a di- uh, an opportunity now as God's people to show the difference that, it, uh, that uh, it makes of following Christ and how we care for those in vulnerable spots. How we care for the moms and babies and children around us. We have an opportunity to honor the Lord in all of this. So can you see, church, this morning, can you see God's protecting love, even as he sets us apart, even as he calls us to live differently? Can you see his protecting love on display in these commands? Because this is especially true as you move into these next few chapters on these uh, commands on how to, uh, uh, how to handle and deal with and to seek cleanliness in skin diseases. Because see, here's what's at the core as we move into the next few chapters of 13 and 14 is this. Our unholiness or our uncleanness separates us not only from God, but also from God's people. See, in in these next chapters, as we're moving just our way along here in these, it it, it teaches us this unholiness separates us. There's a vertical element, but also a horizontal element as unholiness separates us from his people. And now these next several chapters here, 13, 14, even 15, they're not for the weak of stomach, right? And, and I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to these things. And so you start reading about, you know, these uh, skin diseases and, you know, eruptions and, and <coughs> kind of, it's just actually just kind of gross, right? And yet God is so good to teach them what to do. And that's really what chapter 13 is. And how do, we, how do you stop the spread of skin diseases on clothing or in buildings? How, how, do you, uh, how do you stop it? Or how do you then clean yourself in bodily and material hygiene and, and make yourself clean again as the body releases these toxins and things like erupt on our skin or, or it protects us from harmful disease and germs and scrapes and things from the outside? And so note this, as you read through uh, 13 and 14, as it speaks of leprosy, it's really just kind of an encompassing term for a multitude of skin diseases. What we now, with our scientific understanding, can categorize differently, it's just using kind of a singular word here uh, in leprosy, even though it's different than, uh, you know, than just what we would now know as leprosy and the unfeeling and skin kind of coming off and all that stuff. But there's a few consistent pieces in which to note in these chapters here. Join me in chapter 13, 1 through 3. Because this consistent piece here is that you were to bring these diseases to the priest to examine. 
13, 1 through 3 say this, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, there you see that repeated again, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body and if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. I'll jump down to verse 9, same kind of thing being repeated here. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. Now, I'll tell you what here, church, like as you just think of what the, the responsibilities of the priest in the Levitical system here, this was more akin to like a butcher and an infectious uh, disease doctor, right? You just imagine like going to seminary in those days, if they had it here, you know, but it's going to seminary and all the classes that they take, it's like, oh, hey, what's on your schedule this semester? Well, I have Old Testament history and, and uh, Old Testament law and meat cutting and, um, you know, infectious disease classes this uh, semester. It'd be, it would be vastly different. I personally can't, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I could do it and have to go and examine all of these things. And so if you had a disease, where did you go? To the priest. And in the case of uncleanness, here's a second, this repeated thing in this. In the case of uncleanness, they're put outside the camp. Come to the end of chapter 13. Here's a, uh, another, well, it's not quite towards the end, about three quarters of the way in verse 45. Leviticus 13, verse 45. You'll see this uh, 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 repeated. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean unclean he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he is unclean he shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp now what's this like he gets to you know he doesn't have to put his makeup on or or wear clothes or put his hair back or anything he just gets to wear like all the torn clothes of our day and you know just his hair can be hang loose and that the point is in all that, all jokes aside, is he has, he's separated. He's quarantined outside the camp, outside the protection of God's people here, both for their protection and also his protection by being outside. They had to stay healthy to be part of the group, but they were unprotected outside the group and community of God's people. And what is this a reminder of today about our own sins? about our own unholiness. It separates us from God. It puts a gap here. But as I sin against uh, you or my wife or whoever it might be, it creates distance in the relationship. It, put, it creates a gap or a chasm here. Now, what do we say, you know, kind of jokingly, even in marriage, if like the husband sins against his wife, what happens to him? He has to go sleep where? On the couch, right? We call it like he's in the doghouse, right? He's meaning he doesn't get to sleep here. He doesn't get to be in the house. He's been separated. His sin has separated him from the protecting love of the marriage covenant. And now he is in the doghouse. It also happens in relationships as you sin against a friend or something and you're trying to reach out and they, what, they, you send their text and they don't reply back because they're, what, they're ghosting you, right? There's some separation that has existed now, or that exists in the relationship because of this sin. 
Same is true here. It's the point that God is trying to make, even in these things of their uncleanliness, is it puts them outside the camp where they are outside the protecting love of the community, even as it is protecting God's people within the community. And in each of this, you see the importance of God's protection. God's protecting love towards his people, and they don't understand it all. You know, they don't understand the things that we now have uh, can see the scientific reasoning when, as we understand germs and as we understand what the diseases that certain animals carry and why you can and uh, can't eat some of these things. We understand now with our modern, uh, you know, scientific discoveries and things, they didn't understand it, but they just knew God loves them enough to tell them, hey, don't do this. Don't eat these things. Uh, watch out if you have these skin disease and the spread of germs. And they obey by faith. What a reminder for us even this morning as we think of God's commands towards us. Simply like God's command to uh, forgive one another. We don't understand why. How will forgiveness mend this relationship? I've been sinned against. How could I possibly forgive somebody? And to forgive again and to forgive 70 times seven. How, how could this be good? How can this help us? And God is saying, you need to trust me in this. My ways are higher than your ways. You may not understand, but I'm calling you to follow me in obedience. And God's protecting love. See, we don't understand everything, even when we think we're the holiest, even when we think we're the smartest. Yet, as you continue to move through the commands into chapter 15, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us this third point, is that unholiness affects every part of us. It sets us, uh, it, it, it separates us from the community. And just when you think, well, certainly there's some things. No, unholiness affects everything. This chapter 15 might be the most like stomach-turning chapter of all because it's all about bodily discharges. It's like out of every part of a human body, all of these things that erupt out of us, that come out of us, that emit from uh, our bodies is unholy. It's unclean. The lesson that unholiness affects every part of us. It comes out of every part of us. What comes out of us is unclean and unholy. Look at chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. And, and in any of this stuff, too, then if you have this, you can't come near the tent. You can't come in. Look at uh, verse 31 of chapter 15, then does this, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So their uncleanness separates them from the people and separates them from the Lord, and it comes out of every part of us. Now, Lest we think this is just like a, a gross Old Testament example, Jesus picks up on this in Mark chapter 7. 
turn over there for just a, a moment. You can keep a, a marker because we'll come back to Leviticus here in a moment. But jump over to Mark 7, beginning in verse 14, as Jesus picks up on this theme, both in, as we'll see here, connecting us back in a liberating uh, uh, God's people, but also taking uh, this concept of being defiled or unclean to another level. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees, those religious leaders that were experts in the Old Testament law. They knew all these commands that we're covering inside and out and have even added additional ones at the time of Jesus to help them follow these commands. And they're challenging him here in the context, and Jesus is speaking to them in verse 14. Listen here as I read it. And he, that's Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now note the connection here, the similar language of what we just see, or what we see repeated in, in Leviticus, the idea of being clean and unclean, now of defiled or undefiled here. And what he's saying is nothing inside, Will, or nothing that you put in will defile you, but it's the things that actually emit that are discharged from out of us defile us. Verse 17, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? He asked to elaborate for them. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and then is expelled thus he declared all foods clean that's good news right so here's the liberating fact as we think back on the food laws and what god is doing now it's a change in era now things are different jesus is declaring these things clean but continuing on in verse 20 now look what he says and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is God's word for God's people. So we would see here that sin has affected us to the very core. What is illustrated back in Leviticus through uh, bodily emissions. Now Jesus is showing the spiritual significance here that the things that come out of us at our core here, our unholiness has affected every part of us. Now I want you to note something also in here. Just the beauty of Jesus Christ in all this because it is his kindness to call it out for us. He doesn't just dance around it. He doesn't just pat us on the back and be like, oh, it's okay. He doesn't minimize or anything like that. He calls it out, and he calls us to himself. He calls us to sin so we can acknowledge it for what it is and then repent of it and then come near to him and take him up on his invitation to come near and this is the ministry of Jesus that we see all along the way. Is even though he loves us enough to call it out, he is also the one that calls him to come near. See, because note this as we're getting into Leviticus here. It was not a sin to be unclean. It's just part of reality, right? 
He's saying these things make us clean or unclean. That wasn't the point. The point, what was sinful, was being unclean and coming into the presence of holy or clean God. We can embrace the unholiness and sinfulness, but then we have to come near to God, doing what he's called us to do to be clean. And the difference maker in Jesus is that he came near to us. Because even as you read in the next section in, in Mark chapter five here, just look at it. Look at it for a second. I'm not gonna explain it all, but I want you to see this. Verse 24, Mark seven. And then he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet he could not be hidden. And immediately a woman whose little daughter had a unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She was, an, uh, she was from a different nation, an unclean person with this unclean spirit. And she begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And this story goes on and Jesus will do exactly this. See, note this, note this. We saw it before. When you were unclean, you had to say what? You got to go outside the camp and declare, I am unclean. Why? Because if I'm unclean and I come near Cade, now what is Cade? Unclean as well because he's been in proximity uh, to me. And now Christ is coming near. And instead of Christ taking on the uncleanness, because he is the Holy One, what does he do? Makes that person he makes them holy. Note the beauty of the ministry of Jesus all throughout, very specifically in his ministry to those uh, who needed healing. All of this, each of these cases, as you read through the Gospels, you will begin to see Jesus confronting this uh, system and all the people who are unclean for the various reasons. He is the one because he is the Lord. He is the clean one, the holy one who is drawing near to them to make them clean. That's a reason to worship Christ, isn't it? See, when we just humbly acknowledge our sin, the things that make us unclean, the things that cause separation, we repent of it, we turn from it, and we turn to Christ. That's where the help and the hope of the gospel come, where we are then made holy where we make the problem worse when we get ourselves into trouble is when we follow the, the patterns of Adam and Eve and the sinners before us and all around us when we just blame shift. When our sin is when we're confronted with it, well, the woman made me do it. I wouldn't have ate the fruit if she hadn't given it to me. We get ourselves into trouble and we make this work when we just plead ignorance. Well, I didn't know there's so many laws. How can, how can I know? So I just say, I thank you for bringing this to my attention. I am so sorry. I did not know. Let me, uh, please forgive me. We, make, we get ourselves into trouble and we, we make it worse when we just seek to minimize it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal, is it? Like, oh, surely, surely God doesn't take that seriously. Why do you, you don't need to be offended by this. We get ourselves into trouble when we seek to redefine what is right and wrong. Well, it just feels natural. Like, surely, like, I, I, uh, it makes me feel good. Why? It, it, surely it must be right. But see, Lord, let us, redemption, let us not forget it's the Lord who defines what is right and wrong. It's the Lord who defines what is holy and unholy. 
It is the Lord who defines who can come near to him. He sets the uh, uh, standards. He has the authority to speak into everything, but he also cares enough to speak into everything and invite us into it, even into following him in holiness to the most intimate of our activities. See, as we come back to Leviticus now, in, uh, in chapters 18, 19, and 20, the inverse is also true, that holiness involves every part of us. If unholiness has affected every part of us, that it just like oozes out of us, now the call to be holy involves every part of us. There is no half-hearted holiness. Holiness isn't just like a compartment of our life, like a nice cafeteria lunch with all the, the food separated on our tray where I've got my church life and I've got work life and I've got sports and I've got family and all these things. No, following Christ, being holy involves and is saturated in everything in our life. There is no half-hearted holiness. Come back to Leviticus 18. Come out of Mark. Let's go back to the last uh, a few chapters in our section here on the requirements of purity. Read with me now chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. I want you to just see this here. He's calling this to this wholehearted, to a life of holiness. If we're going to like hashtag it, like hashtag holiness is life, right? Look at this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, right? People where you once came from, the people that are around you now, we don't live according to their ways. We live according to God's ways. Verse four, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. As by them. He begins in chapter 18 with the most intimate activities amongst two human beings, amongst a man and a woman. He sets the boundaries of holiness for sex, for intimacy. And he lists out a whole list of things, as you'll see. It's not exhaustive for the, the, the you know, perversion knows no limits, right? It gets more bizarre as the years and the generations go by. But what he is, what he is uh, bringing us to here is a reminder that it is the Lord who sets the boundaries. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who defines what is right and wrong. He is the one who designs us and, and knows what's best for us and knows what we need to avoid so that we don't hurt ourselves. And so all these uh, perversions of sexuality, like don't do that, you're going to hurt yourself. Don't do that, you're going to hurt yourself. Don't do that, it's going to dishonor you and me. It's when we go outside of the bounds committed marriage between one man and one woman, we put ourselves in the place of danger. There's really no like falling into this stuff accidentally, right? Verse 24, God just calls that out. He's like, do not make yourselves unclean by doing these things. There's no like, well, whoops, I found myself here. God takes this stuff very seriously. It involves everything. And he starts with the most intimate of activities. Maybe you're thinking to yourself this morning or you've thought this or you've been asked this like, man, like lighten up. Why do, why do Christians care so much about, about sex? Why is this such like an important thing? Why do you make this such a big deal? It's just like another activity. 
just like, why can't, why can't we just be casual about it? Why can't, you know what, it, it just makes me feel good. This is what is important to me. Well, it's not the case, church, is it? Make a big deal about it because it's a gospel issue. It's, this is, this is, note the, the, the connection here to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of salvation that Paul elaborates on in, in Ephesians 5. But what is marriage a picture of? The, the gospel here within the church, right? Christ's love, his sacrificial love to save uh, his people, the church, and the church's joyful responsiveness to Christ to come under his headship and to follow his ways is a picture of how God has designed marriage. Man sacrificing and loving his wife for her good, of dying to himself and his preferences, and a wife joyfully responding to the leadership of her husband, respecting and honor him. There's a gospel picture there for our hearts and the world around us. And now between a, a man and a woman, the most intimate act is here defined. And so, of course, God cares about this in our life. Because it, how we treat this shows the holiness and the honor that we have for the Lord, for his design, for his ways. It involves every part of us, from how we love our spouse, to how we love ourselves, to how we love God and our neighbors. See, as you move out of the, the, the instructions on sexuality in chapter 18, really chapters 19 and 20, are, you could, uh, they're just uh, elaborations on the Ten Commandments, which is really, you could actually make a case for all of the commands here in the, in the, the Pentateuch really are elaborations. You have the Ten Commandments, which are the foundation, and so all the laws and everything outside of it uh, are, are elaborate, uh, are case studies. Here's how this plays out in this scenario. Here's why we don't, you know, we don't go and visit uh, mediums and necromancers and all that, as you see. Why? Because we're to love the Lord our, our God. We worship Him alone. We're to have no other gods before Him. So each is a elaboration. You can think of it like an accordion here in many ways. It's like, uh, as you have the Ten Commandments, it, it, it elaborates on them, but it can also be condensed down into the two greatest commandments. As in the New Testament, they came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to Love your neighbor as yourself, which is a quotation of Leviticus 19.18. You see it there? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so each of these here, what is he showing us? It involves all everything. Holiness involves our entire life for how we love God and how we love our neighbors. And now the, the, we come to it, and as we're trying to like, okay, well, uh, uh, have I done these things? Like how many of us have like mastered that, like checked off the box and everything, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves? How many of us can like check that off the holiness? Uh, not me. <laughs> this, is, like, this is something we're trying to do over and over and over again. Holiness isn't just like a Sunday morning activity where it's like, well, I'll give you, Lord, an hour and a half of my time in the morning and maybe less if the preacher doesn't go uh, much longer. But who could possibly do all these things? 
laws, from what we consume and how we treat people and how we uh, 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 deal with the sickness and infirmities in our body, how we uh, approach and view and participate in sexuality, how we love God, how we love others, what we do with our time and talent and treasures. How could we possibly be holy like all this? It's overwhelming, isn't it? Even as we're trying to go through, and if we think of it like a checkbox, we will be constantly uh, feeling defeated. I think, again, the volume of laws, not just in this section, but throughout Leviticus and throughout the entire Pentateuch, are meant to overwhelm us for how could we possibly do them. And yet at the same time, as we think about the laws that govern our life, much of these things are foreign to us. We don't live in a, uh, a society like that, but as we think of our own life, even here and now, and if we were to catalog them in, in a similar way, in narrative form like this, I think we would be overwhelmed too by just the things that govern our life. Like just pause for a moment and think about your drive to church, your preparations for church since you got up this morning. And if we were to catalog all the traffic laws that uh, guided how you drove here, those specific, those that you can receive a citation for, and also just those principles for, you know, proper driving etiquette about merging and exiting and blinkers and all that. And if we were to write it down, it would form a whole manual of laws, not to mention the hygienic things that you uh, did this morning as you uh, bathed and took care of yourself and, you know, uh, read the back of the shampoo and how, you know, the proper amounts and how, you know, how to laugh and all that and, you know, and brushing your teeth and on and on all the hygienic things. If we were to take all of those and catalog it just in our morning today, do you think we would be overwhelmed? And then you add all the spiritual things that have governed us and God's commands for us to live today. And it could be overwhelming to think through all this and yet it's just kind of ingrained in our you know, in, in, in our culture, it's ingrained in how we live and act, and we don't think about all these, even as they are overwhelming, and some of these things are very foreign to us. But what I suspect, if I were living in this day here, I would be spending many weeks by myself outside the camp. I'd be, not to mention spending, some, just rarely seeing the sight of the altar in the tabernacle. Because who could do it? I, I would be bearing the consequence of my sin so much and, and separated from God's people and separated from his protection uh, and, and the protection of God's people. And yet, God in his mercy took care of that for us too. See, the same one who determines the standards of holiness, the same one who is speaking to Moses and Aaron here, knows the extent of our unholiness and the hopelessness of the separation that keeps us from him and from his people. And Christ, who was, as we've seen, both the priest who mediates and the sacrifice who atones for us, also covers us with his righteousness. That same God, Christ, took on our unrighteousness, our unholiness, all our uh, sin and uncleanness, that which comes out of us and controls us. And he took it on himself and went outside the camp. But it says in Hebrews 13, 12, look at the verse on the screen. Hebrews 13, 12 says this, So Jesus, who suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Christ on the cross 
outside the city gates on a hill called Calvary bore a sinner's death, taking on himself our unrighteousness, our unholiness onto himself and experienced the wrath of the Father, separation from his love so that we wouldn't And not only did he do that, he then, his righteousness covers us so that we can now be clean, to be holy. The perfectly pure one made impure in our place, making a way, graciously making a way so that we could come and be holy. Let's pray and thank him for that even now. God in heaven, here we are again amazed at your glory, amazed at the goodness of Christ, amazed yet again to see the gospel, the good news in the flood of these commands, amazed to just see the, uh, your uh, wisdom at work through all these uh, uh, commands that uh, maybe are so foreign or even uh, gross to us. So God, help us. You define what is right and wrong. You've made a way for us. You invite us in. So even now, God, maybe there are some who are, 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 are experiencing that, who are realizing just the weight of their unholiness for the first time. Beauty and the grace of Christ to invite them in now. God, would you, by your spirit, continue and do that work in their heart and mind right now, doing what only you can do to save and to sanctify. Do this in each of us, God. Teach us how to live, Lord. We're sorry for uh, forgetting you. We're sorry for compartmentalizing you. So God, would you, by your grace, in your holiness, would you uh, consume us with kindness? with your kindness, a kindness that leads us to repentance, a kindness that leads us uh, closer in to you. So we worship you because of that.